It's been an interesting journey walking through this series we're in. We're in a four-week series called Unoffendable, uh, learning to respond like Jesus when there is offense. And the truth is that when you're, it's kind of like I was just talking to somebody after uh, first service. When you, when you get a car, you know, you get your car, you suddenly see them everywhere, don't you? You, you find if you got a new uh, Honda CRV, you see all the CRVs everywhere and they just stick out to you. Well, when you're working through a series like this on offense, Guess what happens? You see it everywhere. Kristen and I were coming back. My name is Josh, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Kristen and I were driving down the road, and one of those water trucks uh, pulled out in front of me. And I have friends who drive those. And rather than thinking, oh, I wonder if that's... I was just instantly angry. And, um, and she just put her hand on my thigh and some, something along the lines of, are we feeling offended? And... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so if you're like me, you live right there. Sometimes it's something simple like a traffic uh, situation, and sometimes it's far more complicated and difficult. In fact, let me just tell you how this happened for me one time. After I graduated high school, I went right into formal training uh, to work in the local church. I had a clear sense that God, that's what he had for me, was to serve in the local church as a pastor. And so uh, four years of college, four years of seminary, and so you, you just calculated up how many hours of study, how many books I've read, how many thousands of dollars have been spent, how many prayers by me and for me by other people, how, how much effort, how much intention, just all headed in this one direction. I finally land at, at this church and uh, I get my first opportunity to preach and I do, and I just, I pour my heart out, and I just, I finished, and after service, I step down, uh, you know, front, and, and this older woman comes right toward me, and I'm about to get my first feedback. <laughs> and I don't know what your mind would have been doing in a situation like that as she's making her way step by step toward me. I was nervous. I was like, I hope, I hope that was okay. I hope I did. Like, I worked really hard. I, I just, I, you know, oh. And then she looks up at me and with a, sort of a half smile and says, you don't really have a preacher's voice. <laughs> and, and, and then I waited for, for the rest of the paragraph. <laughs> and, and that was it. And I was, I don't remember if I said thank you or what I said. And she just kind of turned and, and walked away. And I... I didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> I certainly didn't want anyone else to come talk to me at that point. Uh, you can just keep your opinions to yourself. And if you've made conclusions about that after today, I don't want to hear what you think. <laughs> but I was, it, it hurt at first, just hurt. I was demoralized. I just thought all of this effort in one direction, and I can't even do this. I cannot do the thing that I thought that God had called me to do because no one's going to want to hear it. And, um, and then I went from that to anger. Then I was angry. And I thought, I should get to know this woman. <laughs> because I can learn some things about her that will be useful to me. And, uh, I, and listen, I don't, I don't know what your story is. All I know is when, 
if you're like me, we're talking about being offended, it, you're just going to see it all over the place. It's going to happen everywhere. There are so many opportunities every single day to be offended. And it's one thing when, if it, when it's the normal uh, rhythm and routine of life, you've got the people that you know to kind of give a wide berth. You kind of stay away from them because they are very offensive. Um, there's other people who are just fragile. You don't want to say anything around them, so you just don't talk to them either. Uh, but listen, there are... There are there are situations where it's, there's much more on the line, where you have put your heart and soul into something. Honestly, I forgot to mention this in the first service, but my, my mind went right to moms. Well, we celebrated Mother's Day here um, not long ago at Bridgewater. And, and if there's one type of person who, who, on average, puts their heart and soul, their life, their everything on the line for something that matters so much, that's so important to them. It's moms for their kids. But then you look at the way kids respond to their moms. And then maybe you remember the way you responded to yours. You know, and, and suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, like that. And you know what it is. When you're going to have family in for the holidays and you've got the house decorated and everything's, everything's just right and, and family members come in and go, hmm, this is where you live. You know, or like you worked hard on this amazing meal. You put it all together and they take their first bite and, hmm. You know, first time making a pie, you know. Um, there's just all kinds of things that can happen. And, and, if, and if what you do matters to you, then when you take offense, when there's an offense at something involving that, it hurts real, real, real bad. And, and we kind of live in that world. I don't know what your response would have been if you were in my situation. Um, I'm guessing that someone else knows what your response would have been in that situation. I think some of us are actually known for our responses in those kinds of situations. Sometimes for better, usually when we're known for something, it's not for the better. But I'm sure you felt like that. You felt the weight of someone's actions that they just seemed to reach in and touch that most sensitive spot right in your heart. Some people are gifted this way. Some of our children are gifted this way. They just know what to do. Some of our spouses are gifted this way. Some of our parents have been gifted this way where they just know how to tighten the screws. And they can do it like nobody else. And maybe you respond to everyone else in your world with patience and grace and love and compassion, but not them. Because they know better. Right? And it just hurts. And now you're feeling offended. Now last week... We talked about offense being an event and offended being a choice. We said in this series, there are some choices we've got to make when there is an offense. Last week, we said we're going to lay down, we're going to drop the offense with forgiveness. Instead of building a wall when someone offends me, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to move in my heart. Even if they never approach me, I will be positionally in my heart ready to forgive them because I will lay down that offense and build a bridge between me and them through Forgiveness. This week we're looking at another choice. And it's, it's not easy. Building bridges instead of walls, not easy. Forgiving, not easy. Positioning my heart to be ready to forgive when they ask, not easy. What is easy is getting even. 
That feels right. Some of us have a very acute sense of justice. Not, not a cute one, an acute one, all right? <laughs> because sometimes it's just not cute or pretty. But we just, we, we need to balance things out because the weight of what someone did is so, is so huge. We need to balance this thing out. And so we make it our goal to get even. And let me just show you how getting even works, all right? The problem with getting even is that it makes you even on the same plane as someone you may not even like. And you become far more like them instead of rising above the situation. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look in the Bible, as we always do, for a story that involves an offense. And we're going to see a couple of different responses that stand in opposition to each other. And we're going to look to see not only how different they are, how natural the one is, and how we can also live into the other one through the power of God. All right, so we're going to go in the Old Testament, first part of the Bible, one chapter, 1 Samuel 25. So if you have a Bible, you want to navigate there, have a device, you can find it on there, 1 Samuel 25. Also, we're going to, as a backup here, have it on the screens for you. As we work through this chapter, we're going to find ourselves talking about someone that if you've been around the Bible or been around church any length of time, you know his name. His name is David. Yes, King David, king over Israel. Yes, David, father of Solomon. Yes, David, who killed Goliath. Yes, David, who was known as being a man after God's own heart. Yes, David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. Yes, this David, who was a shepherd, a younger brother, and named king. That's the one. We're going to see a glimpse into what David's responses were like to offense long before he, came, he became king. The years between when David was anointed by the prophet Samuel and, the, and when he actually stepped into uh, the kingly office is about 15 years. Those 15 years were wildly colorful and thankfully it's all captured in the scripture for us. But David was on the run through that 15 year period for his life a lot of the time. A lot of cool things happened in there, but this man, he was pursued, and I don't mean by a company of people looking to crown him king. He was pursued by the sitting king who was looking to take his life. It's in this time period that we find this account. So we'll just get into it here. We'll start in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 25. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. Now, the writer here is giving us a glimpse into how wealthy this man was. Um, he's not talking dollars and cents. He's talking sheep. He's talking livestock. That was wealth in the ancient Near East. So this guy was very, very wealthy, which he was shearing a sheep in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful, uh, an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So, prime characters here, at first anyway, is David and his men out in the wilderness, on the run, David on the run for his life, and Nabal. And so now they're out in the wilderness, but Nabal's got some sheep out there that are being watched by shepherds, and David's men are out there too. So David, Nabal, that's who we've got. Now we learn that uh, there's another person involved here, Abigail. Abigail's married to Nabal, and she's described as beautiful and intelligent. How she ended up with Nabal, we'll never know, but doesn't that just happen? This wonderful woman, and you look at him and go, what? What happened there? No elbows, please. 
all right? But Nabal, surly and mean in his dealings, married to this beautiful, beautiful, intelligent woman. Let's see what happens. Look at verse five. So David, so he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were here with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were serving at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they'll tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. So here's the deal. It's a big deal on Nabal's property. Sheep shearing time is a holiday festival. It's a celebration. It's a graduation open house. It's an anniversary party. It's a birthday party. It's a family reunion. It's a big deal. If there ever was going to be excess at Nabal's household, it was going to be during sheep shearing time. It was just a big deal. Now, David, what he's doing is he's, uh, he's appealing to a, an ancient custom that they're out, David and his men are out in the wilderness and, and Nabal's sheep and shepherds are out there. Listen, this is, this is a dog-eat-dog world here. So if you're out and about in the wilderness and you're a band of ruffians and thugs, you're going to come take sheep. You're going to come take people. You're going to come take possessions. You better look out. It's a, it's a tough place out there. But David's men were out there, and what David is saying is, hey, we've been out here, and your possessions and your people, your stuff has been out here, and we have not only not taken anything, we've offered protection. We offered our services. And an ancient Near East custom would be that if that's the case, then it would be totally fitting for Nabal to express some token of appreciation. That's all David is, is asking for here. Hey, just, we're out here. We're on the run, but could you just help us out? I think we've done something nice for you. I'd, I'd appreciate it. It's like if someone watches your house while you're gone and calls the cops when they see someone try to break in. You're gonna, well, you better do something for them when you come home. Bring them some cookies at least. All right? So that's what's happening. David and his men kind of bend over backwards and are not only not bad, to Nabal's people and property, but they're good to them. Verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. Nabal effectively just spit in David's face. I don't know who you are or who you think you are. You get nothing. David wasn't unknown. David killed Goliath. There were songs about David that were being sung. Saul, the king before David, has killed his thousands, they sang, but David has killed his ten thousands. He was anointed king. He, this is David. He, he played his harp to soothe Saul's spirit when Saul was troubled. This is David who was in the cave with Saul as Saul was hunting David. David had an opportunity to kill Saul and didn't do it. David is a, he's an upstanding citizen. He's a nice guy. And Nabal's like, I don't, I don't care who you are. You get nothing. Nabal lived up to his name. He was mean and surly in his dealings. How do you think you would respond? Maybe later today, Ask a person who you trust to tell you the truth, how they think you would respond. 
Maybe the Spirit of God already this morning is working on you. You know exactly how you would respond. And, and maybe when you're in the car, you, you respond with the accelerator. I'm not saying that that's what I was tempted to do when the water truck pulled out, but I know that some people do stuff like that. My guess is some of you have a reputation again for how you respond. Verse 13, David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. So we could guess 600 men with David. Now, again, David leaves 200 men with supplies. Why? Because someone's going to come take them, which makes what David and his men did for Nabal and his property that much more significant. So 400 men with David, let's go, boys. Did you hear what he said? Someone is about to die. So here's what David said, skipping down to verse 21. David had, had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. You catch that? You hurt me, you insult me, you slap my face. You, your family tree is going down. Every male, dead. And David could do it. This man was a mighty warrior. His men could do it. He didn't travel with chumps. He traveled with warriors and soldiers. This is the great King David. All his time, effort, and energy, useless. This is, this is David who wrote many of our Psalms. Yet in this moment, he was offended. So what did he do? He went on a hunting expedition. That's what he did. David moved with a sword. David moved to raise a posse. Isn't that what we do when we're offended sometimes? We find all the people who we know we can get aligned with us just for backup. And then we go after the person who offended us. And now we have an army of otherwise uninvolved people who are now carrying this offense for us and going to do something about it. And if we can't do it pointedly with a sword, right, we will do it around the back through gossip. We'll spread some slander. We will work up our very best courage, and no, we won't. We'll work up our very best keyboard courage, and we will put it right out there on social media where everyone can see it. And then it's like pizza and teenagers, like just We can't get enough of that stuff somehow. And David moved toward personal justice. He was going to balance the scales himself. David moved to murder. And he was capable. Why? Because he was offended. This is what happens. And you and I might not strap on our swords, but we take the measures we need to. Surely you've seen this happen in your workplace. Oh, the drama. Surely you've seen this happen in your school. Closer to home, you've seen this happen in your family. Extended family. That's why family reunions are so awkward. Surely you've seen this happen in the church. Why are we so good at this? This is a problem. It has no place among those who claim the name of Jesus. So, 
even though it feels so natural, so right, it is not the only choice you have to make. There is another choice to make. So catch this today. When you're offended, go on a rescue mission, not a hunting expedition. Now we've learned all about what the hunting expedition is like. We have not yet talked about the rescue mission. We're getting there. But what did David do? He did what we do when we feel justified and we are so good at coming up with all the reasons to defend why we responded the way we did or the reasons for why we are going to respond the way we're planning. We are masters of self-manipulation and, and then gathering people who won't tell us the truth, who will just be like, okay, yeah, right, and just go along with us. And when we do this, we will certainly hurt the person who offended us, but beyond that, there will be a ton of collateral damage. Other people are going to pay a price for something they did not do. And, and surely you know that too. Because surely in your home or in your workplace, you have been damaged by the result of a hunting expedition like this. But there are two choices. We can, when we are offended, we can choose to be right. If you're taking notes on our app or some other way today, this is one of the blanks that's there for you. We can choose to be right. David was right. Everything he said was accurate. What he did was great for Nabal. What he deserved from Nabal, he was also correct. Now his response, that's not where we need to go. See, your other choice is this. When there is an offense, you could choose to rescue. You can choose to rescue. And we have not learned about what that looks like but that's what's coming next. So let's get back to the text, verse 14. Thankfully, for David's sake, this is what, exactly what Abigail, Nabal's intelligent and beautiful wife, did. Verse 14. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, Nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to, talk to him. This is not an issue of whether Nabal was being a jerk. He totally was. He was wrong. Not only did Abigail, his wife, know it because she didn't push back on the servant, but even the servant was courageous enough to say these things about Nabal. It was obvious. Everyone knows the kind of guy he is. So what does Abigail do? Does she go lay into Nabal too? She's going to get her peace before David finally takes him out? No, she doesn't do that. She doesn't nag him to change his mind. She didn't gather her own posse. She did something completely different, something totally unnatural for us. She went on a rescue mission. Look at verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go ahead, I will follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Abigail goes on a rescue mission, and she really goes all out. She gets all this stuff ready. She called Uber Eats. She went to Tim Hortons. She got the coffee. She got the donuts, including the Canadian maple. 
and she got all this other stuff and, and just delivered it to David as, as a way of letting him know the type of message that he was going to receive from her. After all these men who were offended, this is so weird. Why is she doing this? She knows who Nabal is. She's had to live with him. It's crazy. She doesn't do that. She understands there has been an offense. But rather than join the hunting party, she goes on a rescue mission. She chose to rescue. She valued this relationship more than being right. Here's what happened. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you, uh, my Lord, be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Let me just stop right there. Abigail, she is so intelligent. She's so brilliant and she's so full of faith. She's talking about the fact that she knows that David has been anointed to be the king. She's saying, I believe God's going to do that for you. God said he would. I believe it. I believe he's with you and he's going to do to your enemies. And she refers back to the stone in the sling, even to David's triumph over Goliath. This woman not only was she full of grace, but full of wisdom, but she, she had good theology. Like she just understood what God had said he was going to do. Verse 30, when the Lord has fulfilled every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. This is so unbelievable what, what Abigail did. And I don't know what David was expecting. I, I'm sure he wasn't expecting to be met maybe by other people who are going to get in his way and he knew what to do with them too. But here's all this food, all this stuff that, that he asked for probably beyond what he was even requesting. Followed up by this woman who bowed with her face to the ground showing humility and then spoke with courage and said things that even David himself knew to be true recognizing that he was on the run for his life, that God had a plan for him that was well above the level of taking this kind of vengeance. So what did David do? Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. This is unbelievable. 
She turned David on a dime. She spoke to what he knew to be true. God has ways of taking vengeance. And she also brought up the fact that there was another choice. And it did not have to be to go on this hunting expedition and and be right and demonstrate to everyone, and this news would have traveled, that he was right. Don't mess with David. Instead, you know what news went out? Don't mess with the Lord, the God of David. You can go home and finish reading chapter 25. Because what happens is God strikes Nabal dead. David was right, but David did not have to be the one to act. Wow. You see, though we're comparing two different responses, we actually, if we're going to put Nabal and David and Abigail together, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see Nabal's response was like this. I'm going to give you evil for the good you've shown me. That's the kind of guy he was. Mean and surly in his dealings. Then you got David who says, I'm going to pay you back evil for evil. You mistreat me, yours is coming. And I can't wait to deliver it. And then you got Abigail who repays good for the evil that she's received. So impressive. So impressive. By the way, this is, this is not existing here in my notes. The godly response we're supposed to follow is here by the woman. Both the men dropped the ball. So let's just understand God's position, the writers of Scripture's position on the value of a woman, let alone a good woman. Abigail did not go on a hunting expedition. She went on a rescue mission. Abigail moved with grace. It's not revenge. Let's not ignore it. Let's confront it, but let's confront it with grace. She moved with generosity. She really went all out with what she brought. She moved with humility. She bowed before David. And she moved with disarming words. She just, I don't know, she, had, she just knew what to say. And it made all the difference. And I, and I wonder, are, are you and I anything like this? I'm not naturally, for sure. I start calculating very quickly what I'm going to do, how I'm going to make this right. And you know it can happen in an instant. It doesn't even take much thought. All it takes is feeling. Abigail, she moved quickly, but she was guided by something other than her feelings. She was guided by the God that she believed in and that she followed. And she knew that there was another way. And I understand, I, I, I understand that things that have been done against you have been painful, will be painful. I can't claim to know what all of that is. But if you're living, then you've been hurt. And sometimes really significantly. Scripture would teach us, though, that no one else can hurt us the way that we have hurt God. No one can do something against us so great that it exceeds the level of hurt and pain and disrespect and rebellion and dishonor and disgrace that we have committed against God. 
And it's in that recognition. And then in faith as a follower of Jesus, it's in that power that we can respond like Abigail in these situations. Jesus himself shows us that we can be unoffendable. He came into the same thing. Jesus could have just come down with judgment because we actually deserved it. But he he came on a rescue mission. His life, death, burial, and resurrection was, in essence, a gigantic rescue mission in response to offense. The gospel is primarily a rescue response to offense. This is what we preach every Sunday. This is what makes all the difference. It's not learn from a good example and go do it. No, it's have your life utterly radically transformed and changed because you and I have committed a grievous offense called sin against God. And instead of, instead of building walls and letting that stand up, he dropped it with forgiveness. He moved forward on a rescue mission with grace and blessed us so generously with things that we do not deserve. The gospel is all over 1 Samuel 25. And it's just pouring out of Abigail. Paul celebrates it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what he writes. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Shame on me for accepting the rescue that God has provided and withholding it from you because you offended me. Shame on me. Shame on us who claim the name of Jesus, who are the most easily offended, ready to retaliate people a bunch of the time. Could you just imagine if we took the posture beyond of Abigail, of Jesus to offense in our home, with our extended family, in our workplace, in our schools, in our communities. Oh, man. And I'm so glad that when I fail on this tomorrow, there's still grace for me. The essence of Christianity, the essence of gospel is a rescue mission to rescue those who have offended and alienated themselves from God who have then been sent out on a rescue mission to help people know rescue's on the way. His name is Jesus. And you can receive that rescue by faith. So remember, offense is an event, but offended is a choice. And we can choose differently. We should choose differently, but through the power of God, we can choose differently. We can drop the offense with forgiveness. And we can move forward and choose to rescue rather than to be right. As you leave here today, you're going to have the opportunity to grab one of these little stickers that you can um, stick to something. <laughs> it's got two options for you, write or rescue, and rescue is checked to remind you and me, mm, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you're going to need some help doing this. So let's pray and ask God for the help we need. God, um, I so easily can remember in detail the ways I've been offended. 
And I so easily forget the grievous ways that I've offended you and have offended other people. I'm asking that you help me and everybody here to have a keen awareness and recollection of how we have hurt you and the others in our lives. And then once we are overwhelmed with the shame and guilt of that, you would remind us that you've rescued us and you sent Jesus and and he took the punishment for all the ways that we've offended you and other people. And you punished him instead of us so that we could go free and so that we could be changed people. I pray that you would so move us in our hearts today that it would be really, really difficult to offend us because we'd be so quick to act with grace. We'd be so quick to act with generosity and humility. This is really, really difficult, but not impossible. This is what you call us to, but I want to thank you that you provide us the power to do that which you have called us to do. Help us to lean into that today and remember that because you are good, we can then show that good to the others in our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.